everybody. Welcome and a very special welcome to those people online. I'm online today, so I get where you're coming from. Enjoy. I'd like to start with a quick prayer if I could. Lord, I give you today. And Lord, whatever is spoken today, I pray that you will use it for your good. Holy Spirit, I ask that you fill this place. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, interesting. In case you're not aware, Christmas is coming. 30 days away, in fact, assuming that today is the 27th, which it's not because I'm filming it beforehand, but if it was the 27th, it would be 30 days away. So it's not very far away at all. Has anyone got their Christmas tree up? Now, I'm not going to be able to see you, but I'm sure there are a few. What about the lights on your house? Has anyone got lights, you know, those little fairy lights that come around the front? Has anyone got any of those? Christmas puddings. Has anyone done a Christmas pudding yet? I can't cook, so mine's definitely not done and not going to be done. Look, the list could go on and on. Some people prepare for Christmas months in advance. And I know really organised people that buy presents for people in the January sales. Look, who would do who, who would do such a thing? Amazing organisation and they're just so prepared. All this preparation for just one day. And then the next day, it's just business as usual, isn't it? Lots of preparation, one day, business as usual the next day. You know, I was pondering on this and I thought it's just so different from the reality of what Jesus did on that day and when he came into the world. On that one day, everything changed. Nothing was business as usual. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Well, here we are, well into our current series, which we have called Prepare the Way. And we're talking about how the prophets prepared the way for Jesus, specifically the minor prophets, Micah, Haggai, Zechariah, and that's who we're going to talk about today, and Malachi. The Old Testament prophets were preparing the people of Israel in readiness for a very special day, just one day, a day that would change everything. Have you ever known a day like that? Think back. Can you remember a single day that changed your whole world forever? Your wedding, maybe. Or perhaps it was a diagnosis. The birth of a child. I'm going to ask you to do something now, and I will have no idea what you're doing. But if you could turn to the person next to you, or if you could type into the chat of one day that was very special that changed your world. I'll give you a few seconds to do that, and then I'll tap on my uh, little container here, and we'll come back and start, start the session again. Talk to the person next to you. Type in the chat. I'll leave you with it for a second. Are we back? Have you found a special day that you could share with someone close by? Well, we all have pivotal moments like this in our lives, don't we? 
And Zechariah was aware of one special day that was coming and he was tasked with letting people know. But God's people were not ready. They'd been refugees in a foreign country. They'd been there for an entire generation and they'd picked up some pretty bad habits. They were worshipping other gods and they weren't keeping up their end of an agreement that they had made with God, a covenant. They'd made that many years before as a nation. A covenant is a two-way promise, and if broken, there are consequences. Zechariah lived and he worked around the same time as Haggai, so some of the book overlaps with the content of Haggai as well. The urgency to build and make right God's temple in Judah, for example. You may have been um, here and able to hear Winnie speak last week in Undone. She talked about how the people were neglecting their responsibilities and were reluctant to build the temple in a timely fashion. Well, Zechariah talks a bit about this too. His book is divided into two sections, before the temple and after the temple. In addition to building the temple, Zechariah was tasked by God with encouraging the people to prepare their hearts and to prepare their minds for a very special day. He needed them to turn back to God. God wanted them to start thinking differently. They'd been in exile. They'd been in another country, remember. God wanted the people to start thinking of God as being bigger than the walls of a building, which was how it used to be. He wanted them to know him as the powerful, faithful, unlimited God he was and still is. Let me read now from Zechariah chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. While the angel who was speaking to me was leading, another angel came to meet him and said to him, Run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within it. A big God, not a confined God. One day Jesus would tear the curtain of their temple and be known as Emmanuel, God with us. So this message can be found in the first half of Zechariah's book. It was a part of several very emotive, descriptive, cryptic visions the prophet was given. You see, Zechariah had knowledge of the Messiah. And I'm going to focus on the second half of the book where there are hints on the coming of Jesus that can be found in the two oracles or prophecy that are recorded at the end of the book. Now, I'd like to explain something that God does in his word. And I, I think this is so wonderful. It's called foreshadowing or hinting of something yet to come. Zechariah hinted about Jesus many times, especially in the last five chapters of his book. He foreshadowed the birth death and resurrection of Jesus Christ more than 550 years before it happened. Zechariah did this many times in his book, but I'll only concentrate on a few. Here is hint number one, the Messiah as priest and king. And I'm going to read from Zechariah chapter 6, 
verses 11 to 13. Take the silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of the high priest, Joshua, son of Josedek. Tell him this is what the Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from this place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne and he will be a priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two. You see, the priests in the day of Zechariah were the only ones who could enter the temple to approach God with sacrifices and offerings. Without a priest, people could not make amends for their sins. They would be left without access to God himself. In contrast, the office of the king was one of authority and judgment. Without a king, there would be chaos. You may remember Sam Tearley's message at the very beginning of this series, and he, he spoke about Jesus um, as king of the castle and us as the dirty rascals. Well, I couldn't have said it better. Wow. Zechari Zechariah builds on this very thing. Zechariah sent a message that God was about to send someone who would fulfil both roles together. And this was unheard of back then. They were very separate roles. The passage we just read refers to the branch, and this was a foreshadowing of Jesus, both king and priest. The person who stands in our place before the Father. That's who the priest was. Interestingly, Joshua the one who was crowned, it's another way of saying Jesus. Jesus is available to us today as both priest and king in our lives. He rules as king and intercedes or steps in the gap for us every single day. Well, that was hint one. This is hint two, the Messiah as a king of peace. And I'll read from Zechariah 9 verses 9 to 10 the coming of Zion's king. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariot, chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And I'm sure this sounds a little bit familiar. Every Easter at church somewhere cites this passage, but maybe not directly from Zechariah, but from the New Testament Gospels. The Gospels tell of the facts that actually happen. They tell of the story of Jesus. Let's read Matthew 21, 6 to 11. And this was just after Zechariah 9, 9 is cited. In Matthew, it says, So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitude who went before 
uh, those who cried out saying, were saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus is the king of peace. The donkey was a vehicle of one who came in peace. In contrast, the horse was one of war, as was the chariot. Jesus brings the promise of hope and a kingdom that extends over all the earth and to all people, not just the Jews. To know Jesus is to know peace. Peace. And that word reminds me of Christmas cards. Um, there's a passage in Luke 2, verses 13 to 14. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. You see that in cards, don't you? Jesus is the king of peace, and it links beautifully with Christmas. That's hint one and two. Here's hint three. The Messiah as a rejected shepherd. Zechariah 11, 10 to 14. Then I took my staff, which was a shepherd's staff, called favour and broke it, revoking the covenant I had made with all the nations. It was revoked on that day. And so that the oppressed of the flock who were, who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and I threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Then I broke my second staff called union, breaking the family bond between Judah and Israel, Judah in the south, Israel in the north. Zechariah physically acted out what God was wanting him to convey. So when you read of the prophet doing something, he is doing it to illustrate what God is saying in a physical, visual way. The people had disobeyed and moved far from God. The favour and the unity that had been afforded them was no longer available. God has dissolved, had dissolved the agreement by breaking the staffs, highly symbolic. A nation that had lost its covenantal protection had been sent into exile into another country and they were divided as a people. God as their shepherd had been rejected by his people. They'd abandoned and sold him off for a pittance. 30 pieces of silver was the price of a slave. Can you see the echo of Jesus here? Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver and he was rejected and abandoned on the cross. But you know what? He didn't stay there. God rescued his people back in the time of Judah and Zechariah. He brought them back from a foreign land and he will do the same for us, for you. He, he is the promised Messiah. He is the saviour. And that is hint four. The final one, the Messiah as a saviour. One day, says Zechariah, one day the saviour will come. He repeats this again and again and again. 
And it's on that day that the foreshadowing becomes reality. The tree that was the cross cast a shadow. And we live in the shadow of the cross and grace. On that day, Jesus broke time. The law was replaced by grace. Zechariah in his second oracle recites a series of on that day promises that God gives to his people. And here are just a few. Zechariah 13 verse 1, on that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from their sin and impurity. Zechariah 13, 8 to 9, on that day living water will flow out of Jerusalem, half of it to the east to the Dead Sea and half of it to the west to the Mediterranean Sea in summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. Well, let me sum up what's been said so far. Zechariah shows us that Jesus is our priest, our intercessor in the gap, the one who on that day did what sacrificial lambs did back then. They erased our shame and our stuff-ups. Do you have any shame or stuff-ups that you'd like to erase? Well, I know I do. The prophet shows us that Jesus is our king and our shepherd, our protector, provider and our guidance when we feel like we're moving into uncharted, scary or overwhelming territory. Do you relate to this in some way? Is life scary or uncertain or overwhelming at the moment? Well, I know I've been there. And finally, the main message that, that God has for you today is that the Lord of the past is the very same of the Lord of the present and of the future. Zechariah foreshadowed a day in the future and on that day of the cross, all people from that day on were given hope. He doesn't change. Hope remains. It remains this day because we have a priest, a king and a shepherd who walks with us. We have a hope, hope of a future, the hope of salvation, hope that one day he will return and make all things new. You see, on one special day, Jesus came to earth and everything changed. The awaited Messiah had arrived. Christmas Day. In just one day, much later, Jesus hung on a cross for us to take the place of the old way of giving animal sacrifice to make up for our wrongdoings. By his actions, he made a statement that enough is enough. No more sacrifices. I am the sacrifice. Jesus made a way on that day, a direct line of communication between us and the eternal almighty God. He created a way to bring heaven and earth together. But we have a job to do. Does anyone remember the Bible Project video that, that Winnie showed in her message? And don't worry if you didn't see it. I'm going to summarise that concept. Imagine, if you will, imagine you have two circles, a blue one, on the left 
which represents heaven. And a red one, a dirty one, on the right, representing earth. Now, if you bring the two together, they overlap a little bit. God is in heaven, we are in earth, and in Zechariah's day, the overlap was where God could meet us. It was called the temple. When Jesus came on that day, on Christmas Day, he became the temple. As he lived on earth, he went around loving and blessing and changing people, doing miracles and basically creating little purple patches where the kingdom was one throughout earth. And you think about it, you know, you've got blue and you've got red and you put the do and you get purple. So he was making little purple patches. He was changing things. He was bringing the kingdom. When the spirit comes to us, when we accept Jesus as our saviour, we become walking temples of the living God. And when we walk about loving and blessing and reflecting what Jesus was to the people, we are creating little purple patches and bringing in the kingdom of God. It's exciting. So what will you do on this day? This day, will you turn to God and let him be your priest, your king and your shepherd? Instead of one day, will it be this day that you ask him to be your saviour? Or maybe you already have, but in parts of your life you're, you're moving away, you're rejecting your shepherd with a tokenistic Sunday-only offering of silver. Will it be this day that you bring your life, including your shame and your stuff-ups, and return to him just like the Israelites? This day, let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for Jesus. Thank you that on that day, Christmas Day, you gave us your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that in just one day you changed the world forever by being the sacrifice that was truly able to pay the price for our ugly deeds. So, Lord, on this day, we give you our stuff-ups. We give you our addictions. We give you our guilt, our shame, and all that separates us from you. We give it to you and we call you Lord. We commit. We recommit to you as Lord of our lives. Together, and please say this with me, together we say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody.